0: Bruce. Um, again, my name is Dave and it's so good to be here with you all. Thank you, Seth. And um, uh, something that I, I always want to make sure that I share on the front end before preaching and um, it, it came out some in the pre, uh, pre-sermon uh, interview is that I have a... Hutter. So it's always right there on cue, by the way, like as I say it. So anyway, that's an example for you. And there will be more from for, of that from where it came. So, um, but yeah, I just want to let you guys know that uh, that's uh, that all kind of coming in and out. And, um, and, and just want to give you a heads up so you're not trying to figure that out the, the whole time. Um, but on that note, let me just share something. I, I didn't um, do this actually the first service, so they, were, they missed out on this. No, but um, it's just to share my heart It's something as I even heard the text read just now. Um, I, I want to make sure that we get something. And some that Paul wrote actually to the Corinthian church, so not out of Philippians, but some that he wrote um, that, that is, is foundational for, for me as a creature and um, especially in a new place. I just want you to hear that Paul wrote and he said, um, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my speech were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And that's my my prayer and my expectation that the Lord through his spirit, through his word will speak to us the testimony of God, Jesus Christ crucified, the power of God on display. And I know that um, last week, Ricardo shared, broke it, broke it down as, as the big idea of verses one through 11 being living the life of Christ, right? That, and it was kind of one long sentence that ran on and explained, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And then it kind of left us in this hanging place of like, well, well, what now, right? Like, how does that inform my life now. And so, where last week Ricardo explained that the life of Christ is to know Christ, to gain Christ, to be found in Christ. And this week is kind of a, a fatherly exhortation by Paul to the church in Philippi, to individuals, and to a community of people like you, like us here this morning. And he says, Press on, press on in the faith because you belong to Jesus. And he has made you a citizen of his kingdom. And then there's a warning. He'll say, but watch out for enemies of the cross. And then he ends though with, again, like picture a father or a coach or, or someone that's, that's kind of holding his, his kid or his student or his athlete or um, kind of over the shoulders and saying, "But continue, press on, live in light of who you are because you belong to Jesus. And that's where... Paul kind of kicks things off beginning in verse 12 right now, right? It starts with the word not. So again, he's picking up that theme and he's saying, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. He's wanting to kind of deconstruct what sometimes happens in um, our Christian circles, right, is where like pastors or clergy or preachers or whatever can kind of get put up on a pedestal. And though I'm sure, and I want to be put up higher than other people, I was even thinking about standing on this table. At first I'm like, what is this table for? We're used to a podium, but I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. But but Paul, similarly, he's wanting to break down this idea, like, guys, I haven't arrived there. I've not already attained it. I'm with you. And so let my spurring on with you be as one of you. And then he reminds them where it all comes from. Okay. He says, press on. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Okay. Let's consider that for a moment. Okay. He's, he's charging them to press on. Now, just to help this kind of sink in for us, I want us to want you to pause for a moment and just right now be thinking through in your mind what comes to mind when you hear the charge press on. Is it perhaps you're an athlete or a former athlete, like probably many of us, right? Back in my day, Uncle Rico, any of you guys know, like we kind of tell these tall stories of throwing footballs over mountains and things. But if if you think back to just your life, what's a context you found yourself in that you needed to press on? Perhaps you've run a marathon, maybe you you had a season of life, or you're maybe even in one now. What jumps out to me, yes, I have triplets, and had all these different moments in my life where it was like, am I ever going to sleep again, is, you know, what does it look like? Well, for me, one week in particular jumps out to me of pressing on, and it's a week I'll never forget. It was the last week of undergrad for me, and I was about to get married the week after, which, yeah, looking back, probably not the best planning, but we're in a hurry. Amen. And so um, we were looking to get married and I needed to graduate school, right? That was kind of a contingency when I asked for my wife's hand in, in marriage. And um, because I took people's advice to kind of take your time and ease into school early on, I kind of slacked a bit early on. And then that led to, you got to really buckle down that last week. And I had to take seven classes, like seven full credit courses and finish all those papers, all those tests. And then I had a capstone project due as on top of that. And I shut down actually like midway through and I barely got done, but I did praise God. And, um, but I remember in that moment, because of my own backstory and my own family, there was an element that where I was, was a gift. It was not a given that I would be graduating from college and then I had a lot to look ahead to. I was about to join staff with the ministry that I got to serve with um, for t- 10 years alongside my wife. And we had all these exciting plans that were, we had plane tickets booked, we had stuff. And here I was needing to buckle down and dig down. And that's a similar theme of where the Philippian church finds itself is, listen, you're in a moment right now. On the one hand, consider, remember where you're from and then think about where you're headed And how does that inform where you're at right now? But probably most of us, even as we hear that, we start to m- maybe get a little anxious, we start to maybe think about, okay, what, how much coffee do I need to consume? How much do I need to eat, work out, whatever? How am I gonna do this to get through it, right? How am, I, how am I gonna pull myself up by my bootstraps and get through this time to press on? Again, maybe where you're at right now in your life, that's your tendency, because most of us in America, that's our first flinch, right, is how can I grit it out? How can I grind through this? But that's not Paul's exhortation. Even though Philippians, let's be honest, and we're going to hit on a few of these, people will use things from Philippians way out of context, right? Like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like I was an athlete, uh, sort of, and I had that like written on my cleats or whatever it was. Um, and it's like all of a sudden, because I have that verse, that's like the magic verse. Now I'm going to be able to somehow be an NFL football player. And we all know that's very far from the truth, right? No, you can maybe be on wrestle teams, on the freshman team when you're a senior. Okay, but um, so these verses just aren't just like magic, copy and paste, take out of context. So when we press in here and we look, Paul's charged to press in. Look at that at the end of verse. Oh, I forgot to put my glasses on. I'm all excited. So, at the last part of that, what does he say? He says, press on, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I don't consider that I have made it my own. I press on because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Listen, church, the first part of this charge, this encouragement to live the life of Christ, to continue on, though you're in difficulty, though you've experienced some persecution and his charge to them is Nero is now the emperor. You're about to experience more and more persecution. It's not gonna be easy, but I charge you to press on. And then he specifically gives the exhortation, the encouragement, do it out of the power of Christ because you belong to him, because he has made you his own. And though we know that intellectually, so often we put that kind of, we just hang that on a hook in our minds and we don't operate out of that. But his charge, the fuel that he wants to put in their tank right now is, listen, because you belong to Jesus, because he has made you his own, he has called you his own. Press on, stand firm, persevere. And then he says, right, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, let me explain that for a mo- moment, because this, um, I was actually talking to Seth earlier, and, and, and he pointed out, and rightly so, how often this gets taken out of context, Right? We hear, forget what's past, forget where you're from, don't live in light of that. Even um, our kind of gospel centered m- movement, I don't know if you all know that terminology, let me explain it for a moment is that the, the gospel, which means what? The good news. The good news of Jesus is far-reaching and all-encompassing, right? All of life is all for Jesus. That that informs every facet of your life, the good news of Jesus. And so the gospel-centered movement often will get kind of distorted and and people will basically um, say, well, so that kind of, that means um, just You put your trust in Jesus and you're now reconciled to him and you have faith in him and you're a new creation in Christ. All of that is true, but it's sometimes used as though, so his gospel doesn't need to inform anything about your life, about where you've come from, about what you've experienced. Perhaps you've walked through trauma, sins you've committed, perhaps sins that have been committed against you. That stuff doesn't really matter. The old is gone. The new has come. Just, just you're a new creation. Just look forward. Now, hear me, that is not what this is saying. Yes, he's saying the gospel, the good news of Jesus is sufficient, is the fuel that you need. But it's not simplistic. It's far-reaching. So it's, it's more like this. If he's saying, don't operate out of the old man, out of who you were. And sometimes, let me just say, that, that means a long process of learning to undo old habits, old belief systems of what it looked like to, to think about yourself, to operate out of yourself. He's saying, listen, forget those things, not in terms of you don't remember them, or you don't enter into them, or you don't engage them, right? You perhaps through therapy, through different groups, right? Exodus groups, redemption communities, different things like that. In fact I would say that Paul would encourage that and this even could be used to help foster that but he's saying but don't operate out of that. All right as you know we as a church as, as a whole Redemption Church have a significant are are a part of the foster care and adoption um, you know crisis. And many of you I know in this congregation have entered into that and walked through that and seen the beauty and the growth and the redemption. And you you likely know that the reality of a child living into who they are as your son or daughter is not just, well, it says it on the paper. The courts have already approved it, it's good. Like, we don't need to ever address again whether or not you feel that I am your father or mother. Right, so what Paul is saying here is, live in light of that, remember it, recognize who you now are in Christ Jesus, but don't let that be like shackles that keep you in, 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 in trapped. Okay, another really helpful picture I I want us all to get. I know you here at Redemption Gateway and all of us at Redemption take baptism incredibly seriously, right? It's not just an outward expression of an inward transformation, just something you kind of have to do so you kind of cross it off the list. No, every time it's done intentionally for the person being baptized and for the community surrounding them, coming alongside them, encouraging them that we would remember, all of us, our Baptistic identity who you now are in Jesus. Because Christ Jesus has made you his own, has, has, has called you his possession, you are now dead to sin and alive to new life through faith in Jesus. And that is meant to be a picture, a reminder, a fuel for all of us so when we read here forget the old man it's don't live as though you're still dead as though you're still enslaved to sin live as though you've been set free as though you've been raised again to new life as though you have died that, that Jesus has put the power and the, and the and the and the and the and the death hold of of sin that he has put that to death he's put that to an end and then when he rose victoriously from the dead and, and, and is ushered in his glorious kingdom with his new resurrection body, the picture we get here in this passage is that's your identity too. So forget the old. Don't live in light of that. Live in light of who you are. And then Paul says in verse 17, this beautiful picture that um, author and theologian and professor Mike Goheen, who I believe is Preached here, and some of you know he leads what's called the Missional Training Center. Um, gives this incredible picture where he says something like from this verse, where Paul, where Paul encourages. He says, "Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. That the the posture, the shape of the Christian life should look something like this. Where you would say, all of us, whether you're a parent." Whether you work in Redemption Kids, you work with the youth, you're a pastor, you're a teacher, you're whatever your vocation, right? If it's all of life is all for Jesus, and it is, then the call is to look something like what Paul's saying here, come and follow me as I'm following Jesus. Right, we have a cross here. We have a picture that as a parent to my four young kids that my life isn't, I've got to have it all figured out. I've got to hover over them with a helicopter. I've got to get their school and their. Hey, they have to know three languages by next week and all this, right? It can be exhausting. Know that the call, our charge in any role of influence is this, I'm following Jesus. Come and follow him with me. And that's the picture. That's the, the, the charge that Paul has here. But then he shifts gears in verse 18 and he gives a warning. He says, but don't follow everybody. There are enemies of the cross. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Who are the enemies of? of the cross? Who are the enemies of Christianity? Okay. Let me ask you that. Consider that even now for a moment. Who, who, who come to mind as the enemies? I don't know what it might be in your context, right? I joked about, you know, U of A, ASU, you know, I see, you know, we could kind of make fun and say some things like that, but what is it, right? Or even within redemption, there are some jokes, right? Here in this context, I don't mean to like profile, but it might be like liberals, hippies, right? Like people driving Priuses, those are the enemy, right? And then we're like, no, that's Redemption Flagstaff. Those are our brothers and sisters, <laughs> right? We love them. And I can poke fun because I'm going to talk about hipsters here in a moment, right? We, that's us, like, or Redemption Tempe. There's all this, right? We all can kind of have fun with it. But as, if we're honest, we press in. Sometimes our functional understanding, we insert into the text that our enemies are not what God is actually saying we think it's people on the other side of the aisle people who look differently from us who dress differently who have different you know priorities about their life whatever it is you know like homeschool versus public school or essential oils versus vaccination or whatever i don't you know we 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 paint these pictures and it, and and we joke about it but we actually functionally sometimes operate out of that and we could read a text like this and insert it and the danger is twofold. Okay, hear me. One is we try to, anytime you add or you insert to God's word, that's a danger. There's actually a warning not to do that. Okay, to put on your own lenses and just kind of plow right through any stop sign and just say, oh, this is what God's word is saying. It's the enemies are those. It's Fox News. It's MSNBC. It's whatever it might be, right? And we just kind of go with that. The other danger though, hear me, when we do that, is not just inserting and getting it wrong, but it's we miss the real warnings that God wants to give us, amen? And here's some of the warnings that I think in our cultural context come to mind. The enemies of the cross, what is that? It's in summary, it's this. To add or take away anything from the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus, right, is what that means. And so the enemy of the cross is to say in any case, Jesus, what he did, he lived, he died, he rose again. That's good news, but it's a little incomplete, right? Like you need to do these other things. You add to it, right? You need to, you need to um, speak this language, listen to this kind of music, right? Go to this kind of denominational church. You need to, whatever, right? We, and we do it. We fill ourselves in there. It's, it's legalism, ultimately. It's, it's, and and what's happening, it, it doesn't just mean you're, you're a better Christian and well, sorry, my struggle is I just read my Bible a lot. Okay, like that sounds okay, right? We kind of church it up and it's like, well, I'm a little bit of a Pharisee, but hey, guilty. I just happen to have memorized the whole Bible. <laughs> Shame on me. You know, that's kind of how we handle it. But what we're actually doing in that moment when we operate out of that, we're adding to the gospel. And it's as though we're standing and looking at Jesus and what he's done. And when Jesus said, it is finished, we're saying, not really. Not, not completely, Jesus. I, I need to do some more. I, I should probably add a couple things that will make the Father really accept me. Because you're not enough. Okay, and I don't mean to pile on a burden more and more with that, but I want us to understand the seriousness. And the flip side of that is the opposite, but as Timothy Keller says, it is two thieves of the gospel, legalism and licentiousness. Which that was a minor miracle, by the way, just a little unrelated, but L's are my worst, L's and R's, all right? So I have to preach out redemption and talk about legalism and licentiousness. You're, you're, that's... Sorry, I was about to go off there and say, but hey, God is good, amen? He's getting it done. But the other side of that is taking away, licentiousness. Okay, it's saying, Jesus, I know you declare that you're Lord. You declare that it is finished. You you say into your hands, I commit myself. Jesus says, we see a picture of him in Revelation that Jesus is on the throne saying, behold, I am making all things new, that Jesus is Lord and, and ruler and he is reigning over all things as Colossians chapter one, verse 15 through 20, so beautifully paints this picture that Jesus is the one who has all authority over all things seen and unseen. And when we don't live our lives with a sense of understanding of our desperate need for his spirit to empower us to obey him, to live the life that he is calling us to live, that we belong to him because he has made us our own. What we're doing is we're saying, you're a good example, but you're not really the authority ultimately in my life. Your provision, your sufficiency isn't really what needs to drive my life. Like when it's convenient, when I feel like it makes sense, when it all lines up for me, I'll obey you. But um, otherwise, I'm just gonna kind of do my own thing because you're not really ultimately Lord. And Paul warns, I think that's the posture, that's the understanding we have when there's this incredible warning Look out for enemies. And you guys, I just want us to understand here, it's not all people who look and talk differently from us. His warning in this context is, you're swimming in polluted waters that you don't even recognize. Be on guard. Let me share with you what this looked like for me this last week. So this time last week, I was... um, I was actually, I was about to get on a plane from Guatemala to fly back here. I got to spend eight days in Guatemala with my son um, on a trip that our our church is a part, our congregation is a part of. And I'll share more about that in a moment, about Guatemala and and all that I got to see there. But um, we flew through the Houston airport on the way to Guatemala. And I've flown through that airport before and it was, you know, normal airport. It's nice. It's no Tucson airport, if any of you (laughs) know. Airport's struggling, by the way, but anyway, it's a big, nice airport, and so we get to Guatemala, and we're like, "Whoa, we're not in, you know, the U.S. anymore," and that was obvious. Well, flying back, if you've ever traveled, especially to like a third-world country or anything, you know, any anything like that, it's really nice to get back into a U.S. airport, even the Tucson airport, right? Whatever airport it might be, it's like ah, oh, finally, like I feel a little more comfortable. If I get in trouble, if I do something, I don't know if it's just me, if it's just shows, but sometimes I'm even tempted to like test that. Like, you know, it just feels even that a little bit better. Like, even if I get in trouble here, I'm on home soil. You know, I speak the language. I know who to call. I know what to do. And yet this time I did experience that. It was like, let's get some Pizza Hut, McDonald's. Let's load up on everything, all the preservatives that we had to go without for a week. Right? <laughs> But something else happened this time. I saw with kind of outsider eyes. After only a few days away, we get off, the, off of our plane, right? We're back here. All oh, this is nice. And within moments, I'm walking with my 12-year-old son, and there's a Victoria's Secret in the middle of the airport. We must have walked past it, but I just didn't even notice. It's like, oh, the mall, same thing. But after being in Guatemala for eight days, and now we're back there, it's like, what is that doing in an airport? right? And like my son and I are like, oh, hey, look away. We're like walking into walls and stuff. But as the conversation, as we kind of debrief that as a team, some of the women on our team actually shared, I think, some b- better observations. He said, wow, I, 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 I kind of forgot the, the message we're inundated with of comparison, of you're not enough, of you should look like this mannequin. You need to buy these things and look this way in order to be worthy of love in order to be desirable and in, in, in when we say there's nothing to prove and nobody to impress right, we like have it on shirts I see some right now we say that but how often do we functionally practically operate out of that good news on the flip side how often do we operate out of a world recognizing we live in a world that is filled with consumerism that says you're not really enough Jesus delights over you. You're his child. You're his son or his daughter. Psalm 139, right? You're knit together in your mother's room, womb. You're, you're, you're beautiful. You're, you're wonderfully made. We sing those things and then we operate with our credit card as though that's not fully true, right? We need to make up for where it falls short. We have everything to prove and everyone to impress. And what that leads us to, an enemy of the gospel, is a consumeristic approach to life. Now, let me say, I don't know this context as well, but let me just break down. Consumerism is, yes, the consumption, the accumulation of goods. It's more houses, more boats, more cars, more lingerie, whatever it is. More stuff is going to make you more desirable, more happy. Um, Essentially, Jesus is good and gets you some direction, but um, you actually need more. And and we just operate out of that. But then some, we may have some here, and in our context, we have to hammer home and break down. It's not just the the accumulation of goods, okay? Because some people in our context will be like, you're wrong, like loophole. I don't have anything. I'm a minimalist. I live in my mom's basement. I ride a bike that doesn't even have brakes. It's a fixed gear bike. And I have one pair of super tight pants that I wear and um, I don't even shave or shower and I just wear one outfit and I'm a minimalist. And so I'm not consumeristic. And that's our context a little bit more. Well, consumerism is not just the accumulation of goods, it's also, hear me, relationships and experiences if I have more Instagram likes, if I have more community, if I have deep conversation with other human beings who tell me how smart I am and we all sit around and, and just have these, these mystical experiences, I travel the world, I'm not consumeristic, no, but it's we are and we just kind of put it in a little compartment. And so what I want us to all hear is one of the biggest enemies of the cross of Jesus that you and I face is this lie we're inundated with day in and day out that you need more stuff, you need more relationships, you need more experiences that will ultimately fulfill you and satisfy you and make you enough. And that's a lie. And Paul's message is one of press on because you belong to Jesus, but watch out for the enemies of the cross. And again, hopefully we hear who the enemies are and who they aren't. And then this last part here, picking up in verse 19, or I'm sorry, in verse 20, he says why. Press on, look out for these enemies of the cross because our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. How many things? All things. If you have your Bible, underline that. Right? When we say all of life is all for Jesus, it's because all of life belongs to Jesus. Again, right now, in this moment, Jesus is on the throne, at the right hand of God the Father, looking over all the things that you and I are tempted by, walking by, thinking under the delusion that we're in control and that we need to structure our lives, our relationships, our experiences, our goods in such a way that will ultimately fulfill us and satisfy us. And the message here is, no, 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 you're not a citizen of this world, the kingdom of this world, not just the physical stuff, right? But because some of us, again, think, oh, that's fine if it's not of this world. You know, we have that sticker on our car and we just think in terms of, physical. What the, the, the idea, the imagery of kingdom, can you hear me right now, is which, which life operation do I function out of? Which message, which story do I participate in? Which good news do I digest and live by? Which fuel drives the car of my life? And Paul's message is The Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has made you his own and made you a citizen of his kingdom. And this language would be incredibly intentionally placed there because in this context, again, in a Roman colony where a lot of like retired military people would be, like our context in Tucson, right by Davis-Monthan Air Force Base, and we have a lot of ex-pilots and different military folks, this would be a very similar context And they would be thinking, operating out of this world of, well, Nero's really in charge. He's the Lord, ultimately. He has the power, right, life or death. He rules over everything. His face is on the currency that we have. And he's ultimately savior, right? He saves us, protects us from the Germanic tribes, from the you know, short, hairy, Northern Europeans, like myself, right, Scotland, Ireland, right? And they would have this idea, okay, he's our Lord, he's our savior, he's the one that keeps the world and the lifestyle that we've grown used to and that we accept. And Paul's language is, no, there's one true Lord, one true Savior who has all power. And he uses that power right now to rule and reign over all things. He's also, that's the same power through which he was raised from the dead and the same power in which he now has a glorified body that he is calling you and I into. That one day we will exist for eternity as a part of his glorious kingdom with glorified bodies, some of us with aches and pains and gray hair coming in and balding, right? And we know this is good news, all right? But the message here is there is a a power on display there that informs our lives right now. And let's end with this verse that he uses, that he says. In chapter four, verse one, therefore, in light of all these things, brothers, Whom I love and long for, my joy in my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. There's a tone here of incredible love and incredible urgency. Um, If you you guys could throw up this picture, this is what comes to mind for me of, um, again, having just spent a week in Guatemala. And I got to take my son, as I mentioned, and you see him there. I think it's obvious which one's my son. But um, Cooper, he's actually fluent in Spanish and was, like had an awesome time there. But um, there was an element of taking him on this trip and spurring him on in the life that he's going to live and to remember whose he is, that he belongs to a Lord who rules over an entire world. But that one picture there, Danielle, is who I want to talk about. And then the other picture, you see my son there, Cooper, is between two boys, um, Danielle on his right and then um, John on his lo- left, the one holding the, the g- Gatorade bottle. Well, these boys grow up in an environment, a context that you and I can uh, almost certainly not even fathom. Um, that boy, Danielle, only has one eye and it's because he's from an incredibly poor family and he got cancer and before he could get treatment and get it operated on it, took his, his, his eye. And yet he's this incredible soccer player playing out there with one eye. It was, I got to coach him and mentor him some and and encourage him. Um, But getting to walk through his story with him. And then this other kid, John, the one with the Gatorade bottle, right? He is already getting pursued by some of the most horrendous gangs in the world. MS-13 and the 18th Street Gang. Um, Almost every one of these hundred boys at this camp have witnessed, this is not an exaggeration, witnessed someone being killed. And, and they've said almost 100% they've all seen at least a dead body. Most of them once a week. That just someone didn't pay the extortion money. Someone, I mean, this is the reality of where these boys are. And for, for eight days, they get to experience love, support, three meals a day, encouragement, um, community, team, um, both of those boys actually indicated a decision to follow Jesus and got baptized in the, in the Bay of Honduras. And my son was weeping and, and said, man, this is my, I got to look up and see my son praying with De- Danielle. And they, he said, dad, I think I found my best friend. <laughs> Which is cool that like church camp type things can even happen in kind of a ministry context. But as I share that with you, I w- it's because I want us to close understanding Paul's posture, right? Where we started. As I left these boys, as my son left, and he asked me, honestly, dad, will I ever see them again? And I was honest, was like, probably not. I mean, I don't know, but most likely not. So what do you say to these boys as you hug them, as you say goodbye to them? Similarly, press on. This was almost certainly the best week of their lives up to this point, and almost certainly the best week of their lives until they're adults, until they can make their own decisions And yet they've heard a message of good news and they've put their faith in Jesus. And one week later, right now, almost certainly, they've already been inundated with something other, with another good news. With, hey, these gangs are actually Lord and Savior. If you get a part of one of them, you'll be be known, you'll be protected, you'll have an identity, you'll have a crew, you'll have a community. Right, you, you've grown up poor, but if you, you become the, the, the one with the gun, then you, you can actually now provide for yourself and your family and, all, and this lie, right? It seems so obvious to us. The average age for one of these boys is 30 years old. The life expectancy for one of these boys in that community is 30 years old. So the message that I want them to hear, that I believe Paul wants the Philippian church to hear, that I believe you and I need to hear, is like hands on the shoulder, press on. You belong to Jesus. You're gonna, be, you're gonna be tempted by enemies of the cross that will say you need to add something or you need to take something away, but, 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 but stand firm, remind one another of the good news of Jesus that you belong to him and he has made you a citizen of his kingdom. So as we close Redemption Gateway, I just wanna encourage you, I wanna ask you, what does that look like in your context? What does press on look like in your marriage, in your workplace, in your church life, in your community? What does it look like to press on, stand firm, remain faithful, to acknowledge and recognize the lies you've been inundated with, and to remember you belong to Christ and He's made you a citizen of His glorious kingdom? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus. Thank you for your authority over all things. Thank you that he chose to use that authority to make us his own, to free us from the bondage of sin and death, to make us citizens first and foremost of his glorious kingdom. So Lord Jesus, we pray that even now in this moment, you, through your Holy Spirit, you will lead us to respond appropriately to your good news. Lord, I pray that for some of us we would surrender, some perhaps even for the very first time. And Lord, for all of us that we would remember whose we are and where we're headed, and that would shape how we live our lives now. In Jesus' name, amen.